welcome to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. To be with you today as we start this new series in the book of Ezekiel. How many of you guys, uh, when you get to the book of Ezekiel, you get really excited about the book of Ezekiel? Uh, and how many of you just kind of like like glaze over during the book of Ezekiel? Anybody? It's okay to admit and be honest in church. There you go. Thank you, Ed. Uh, we are excited to start this new series. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But for today, as we get started, I really want to just kind of jump in with both feet and give you absolutely zero context. How does that sound? Is that cool? <laughs> so um, I would like to introduce you to Josh uh, Stevenson. Many of you know Josh. Come on over here, buddy. Uh, give it up for Josh, everybody. Josh is actually one of our elders at Vanguard Church. Uh, he normally attends Vanguard Central Austin Bluffton Academy. Uh, and we had lunch a couple weeks ago, and he asked me, is there anything I could do to show you a little bit more support? And I said, you could come to church once in a while. Uh, <laughs> and so anyway, we're glad to have you here, Josh. Uh, so Josh is going to read um, Ezekiel 1, 4 through 24, and this is going to be in the New Living Translation. I'll talk about why in a, in a little bit, but for now, just trust us. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you have a phone, fire it up. If you just have eyeballs, look up on the screen. Josh is going to read it. Ezekiel 1, verses 4 through 24. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with bright light. There was a fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except they each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle at the back. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked, bright, looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them, and the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled as if made of barrel. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. The rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening and were covered with eyes all around. Then the living beings moved. The wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Spread out above them was a surface like the sky, glittering like crystal. Beneath this surface, the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other's wings, and each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Um, it's kind of a puff, puff, pass situation, if you know what I mean. Um, as you read this, you're like, bro, check it out, man. There's like these four faces. <laughs> they got like straight up like wheels and stuff, bro. I mean, it's like, like it's kind of a wild thing to read. So we're going to get back to that in a minute. But I, I just want to, you know, today is going to be kind of a, 
set the tone for the book of Ezekiel type of day. We are going to cover some of what we just read. But there's kind of a deeper truth in Ezekiel chapter 1 that I think is important for us to pay attention to. Anytime you read a book of the Bible, uh, this is the number one thing that I have learned in seminary. You ready? The most important word in all of scriptural study is the word context. Context. Uh, You've heard me say before that if someone asks you the question, what does the scripture mean to you? That you should, you know, quietly gather your belongings and walk out of the room. Because it doesn't matter what it means to you. You are not the arbiter of truth. It matters what it means for you, right? That's what matters. And so we're going to talk about the context of Ezekiel, the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why. So this, I hope this isn't too academic. I want it to be relational. But I want you to kind of put yourself in the position of Ezekiel and think about who this man is. So who is Ezekiel? Uh, as we open the book, he is a Jewish man. Uh, who was raised in a priestly family. Now, uh, we're going to see this in a moment, but this actual verse of Scripture, this section of Scripture, happens to take place on Ezekiel's 30th birthday. It's the day of his birthday. Now, um, the tradition would suggest that for priestly families, that is the day that Ezekiel would have become a priest. He would have spent his entire life building to his 30th day or his 30th birthday so that that would be the day that he would, you know, take on the cloak and do the work of, of, of a priest. But the problem is that the Babylonian exile has happened. Now, this is a moment in time where God had had enough of the absolute uh, disrespect, the absolute idolatry, the as- absolute uh, disobedience of his own people, and so he removed them from Israel. In fact, he let Israel be decimated and his people be taken into bondage under this Babylonian exile. And so this is six years into the exile, the day of his 30th birthday. So what's going on? Ezekiel is documenting a series of vivid encounters with God. And he's faithful to share what he's seen, he's heard, and what he's been sent to speak. We are going to see some scenes in the book of Ezekiel that HBO could not imagine, okay? We're going to see some things that are just absolutely wild. I don't want to give you too much context, but there's one moment in particular where Ezekiel is literally cooking a meal over a pile of human dung. We'll get to that. All right, so... So when and where, right? Uh, Ezekiel starts documenting on the occasion of his 30th birthday. He's part of the remnant of the Jewish people living in Babylonian exile. Why? Because Ezekiel had grown up in a priestly family, learning the customs and the rituals of priestly responsibility. But Ezekiel had never had an encounter with God. And this is the words today that I want you to circle and think about this phrase. For himself. Ezekiel had grown up in a home uh, with a father who was a priest. Uh, He learned the customs and the traditions. He'd studied the scrolls. He knew the Pentateuch. He understood uh, the ways of a priest. He would see his father come home with blood all over his garments from having sacrificed animals for the atonement of his people's sin. Uh, Ezekiel understood what what it meant to be a priest, but he had never done it for himself. His father had walked into the Holy of Holies. He never had. Ezekiel had never had an experience with God. And right now, in this moment, he's about to have an overwhelming experience with God. And that's where we pick up the story. Uh, There's three big sections in Ezekiel, not to be too academic, but as you're studying it, you might mark these. Uh, The first section is chapters 1 through 24, where God is going to make it really, really clear why he did what he did, why the exile had to happen. Um, And then uh, in the second section from 25 to 32, you see, the Jewish people had really become jealous of the other nations, their rival nations. And they said, why can't we do it like they do it? Why can't we be like them? Why can't we do it like them? And so God says, let me tell you what kind of judgment is going to come upon them. That's the second section. And the third section is the prophecies. We get into some good, good news at the end of Ezekiel because we're going to start talking about the end of days. We're going to start talking about Jesus, Messiah. We're going to start talking about redemption and salvation. It's going to be awesome. So those are the three sections. All throughout the book of Ezekiel, God is going to make it clear (laughs) that none of what has happened in the Babylonian exile, none of it is an accident that none of it is happenstance, that none of it is random, that all of it is God at work. God at work. He's saying that you will know, 
There's this phrase all throughout Ezekiel, and it says, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. Everything that he has done is so that you and I will know who God is. Amen? It's going to be exciting, I promise you. Believe me. Um, now, the last series that we just got finished with last week, the In and Out Churcher series, uh, thank you for all of your texts and emails. And I heard from people uh, over the, the last month that they've shared uh, different sermons with different people who have different thoughts about why they should or shouldn't be at church, right? And so thank you very much for using that as a resource. That was the point. The point of that series was that we would reclaim the high ground of what the word church means. That we at Vanguard Trilex would say, look, I don't know what anybody else is doing. I don't know what every other church is trying to accomplish, but I can tell you what we're fighting for, right? That's the idea. And that is exactly the story of what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. That God is trying to reclaim the high ground for his people. And you've heard me say before that your Bible is not two narratives, Old Testament and New Testament. It's not 66 disparate, disconnected uh, books. It's one story. It's the story of a holy God setting aside a distinct and holy and chosen people to experience and represent his glory. It's also the story of those people being absolute knuckleheads, right? Um, And then it's the story of a loving father sacrificing his only son in order to reunite with his chosen people. That is the story of the Bible. That is the narrative of the Bible. So as we walk through Ezekiel, We're going to see ourselves in the Jewish rebellion. We're going to see ourselves in their their disobedience, in their idolatry. We're going to reckon with our rebellion. We're going to reason with our resentment, and we're going to revel in our rescue. That's a lot of alliteration. Come on, I did that for you. Uh, (laughs) But the question that I want to ask you today as we study this, the question I want you to really wrestle with. And, and, you know, think about how odd this question might be to a person who doesn't believe in God. This is the question. How do you hear from God? How do you do it? You ever hear someone say, well, I felt like the Lord said to me. You ever hear that? Or, well, actually, God spoke to me and said. You ever hear this from people? Think about how that sounds to someone who doesn't know God. Oh, you heard from God? What does he sound like? What does his voice sound like? Is he masculine? Is he feminine? Like, is he gentle? Is he powerful? What does he sound like? And that's why I want to kind of just tweak the question just a little bit, and I want to add that phrase. How do you hear from God for yourself? How do you hear from God for yourself? I got to tell you, I've been doing this job now, lead pastor of this church for about a year and a half. I've been standing up here on this little carpet uh, (laughs) Sunday after Sunday, and, uh, and it is an absolutely terrifying experience to stand up here. I don't know if you know that or not. I try to be like a duck, you know, like real smooth on the top, but like going crazy underneath, you know. I try to be really chill like that. But man, it is a terrifying experience for me to stand up here week after week. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time in the Word. I spend a lot of time studying, reading and rereading, reading commentaries, listening to other people's thoughts on commentaries, preparing for these Sundays weeks in advance, asking the Lord to give me ideas and stories and, and to, to ask myself, okay, so I'm going to preach this to them. I'm going to tell them they ought to go do this. Am I doing it? Am I living this way? I'm going to tell them they ought to believe this way. Do I believe it? Right? I mean, it's a terrifying and holy and very like reverent experience to be up here. Mostly because I'm so afraid that the only time that you would ever hear from God is when I'm standing on this little carpet up here on a Sunday. I desperately want that to not be the truth for you. I desperately want for this Sunday experience to not be the only time that you interact with a holy God that you hear from a holy God. It is terrifying to me to think that the best example of Jesus is me on a Sunday preaching to you. That's awful. That is a toxic relationship, friends. Okay? Um, We had a moment in our SLT. We always start our SLT with, with the question, where do you see God at work? SLT is our strategic leadership team. We get together twice a month and pray and talk about ideas for this church. And we always ask, where do you see God at work? Well, we had this one night where we were talking through a book discussion. And this question came up. It says, when you hear the word pastor, what expectations come to mind? Remember this, Ed? When you hear the word pastor, 
what expectations come to mind? And there were good thoughts, you know, someone who's there with me when I'm sick, someone who uh, loves me and is, you know, cares about my life, someone who brings the Word of God on a Sunday morning and really gives care to me. It's not just kind of academically removed, but actually emotionally connected, all those types of things. And then one person, who I won't name names, but one person said, I think of the words spiritual authority. And I immediately recoiled when I heard that. I said, don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby, right? (laughs) Because I don't want to be your spiritual authority. My spiritual authority is Jesus Christ, amen? And he better be yours. I'm not your spiritual authority. Now, does that that mean that uh, I should just come in here and go, I don't know, let's just pray? No, of course, I need to seek the Lord, and I I need to be having an elevated experience with the Lord consistently. If you were to sense from me on a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday afternoon that I'm just kind of doing my own thing, disconnected from God, Houston, we have a problem. I agree with that. But the idea that I would be some authority in your life, that's not how it's supposed to be. My job is to equip, to mobilize, and to mature this body, to live on mission. That's it. The Bible says that pastors, apostles, preachers, teachers, uh, and prophets were given to the body of Christ. Why? To equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. That's my job. So please don't put spiritual authority on me. Let Jesus have that title. Amen? You with me? Um, but, But there again, we get into the question of how do you hear from God for yourself. And that's why I think this Ezekiel passage is so fascinating, because Ezekiel is going to see God for the first time in his life. I mean, this is it. This is the first time Ezekiel has ever seen God. He's going to hear from God for the first time in his life, and he's going to experience God for the first time in his life. Do you remember the first time that you heard from God, that you experienced God? Do you remember the awe Do you remember the humility? Do you remember the power of that moment? That this great God who controls the universe would condescend to look at you in the eyes and to speak directly to your heart. That's who our God is. And Ezekiel's about to experience it. There'll be no, there'll be nothing compartmental about it. God's not going to give 73% of himself. And he's not going to ask Ezekiel to give 64% of himself. It's going to be an all or nothing situation. There's nothing domesticated about this moment. There's nothing domesticated about what we just read in Ezekiel, right? There's nothing safe. There's nothing tame about it. There's nothing watered down. Here's some more alliteration. It's just the vivid, vast, and voracious vision of a God with no comparison. Amen? So I want to look back. Look at Ezekiel 1. Uh, we, I didn't have uh, Josh read this for a reason. Look at this. On July 31st of my 30th year, While I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kibar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. That's the heart of Ezekiel, just from the very beginning. On July 31st, now, you may not know this, that's me and Dana's anniversary. So when I read that, I go, huh. On July 31st of my 23rd year, I said, I do. Right? I mean, that's what happened for me on July 31st. For him, he's turning 30, and, he, and, and this is the day that he should have been given the collar. This is the day that he should have been given the title of priest, and instead, he's going to be given a greater gift than he could ever have imagined. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's uh, captivity. Now, he's going to talk in third person here, which I think is very Kanye of him. Uh, but he says... Um, <laughs> He says, the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest, beside the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. Ah, those two phrases. The heavens were open and I saw visions of God. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. Those two phrases. Gosh, if I could put that in your vernacular. If I could have you just talk about that, if I could convince you that saying those phrases, communicating to the people in your world, you know, listen, all I can tell you is that the heavens were open and I saw God, I experienced God, and he took hold of me. And if that would be our story, what a powerful story it would be. 
I don't tell my story a lot, but for the sake of this moment and for sake of those two phrases, I just want to tell you a little bit about how I became a follower of Jesus Christ. When I was young, like 14, 15 years old, I was kind of a CEO, a Christmas and Easter only kid. My mom and dad were kind of fighting to try to find the right church for us to be a part of, and we really could never find a good one. And so we would go for Christmas, we would go for Easter. I got invited to this concert on September 14th, 1990, uh, and it was a Billy Crockett concert, the cheesiest music you'll ever hear, okay? Christian, acoustic guitar, Billy Crockett concert, and he started talking about grace. He talked about mercy and forgiveness and salvation and the idea that you don't have to work to make God love you, that you don't have to achieve God's love but that he loves you anyway, and he gave his son Jesus so that you could accept him and become a follower of Jesus Christ just by the grace of Jesus. Is there anyone here today that would say, I want that grace, I want that mercy? And I was like, I think I want that. Yep, I want the grace. I, I, need, I need grace. I've done a lot of bad things. I'm 15, and I'm a sinner, you know? Like, and so I went up, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. But what I didn't understand as a 15-year-old was what does it mean to accept Christ as your Lord? You know the difference, right? Like accepting him as your Savior, awesome. I'll see you in heaven. Accepting him as your Lord, I want to see you on earth. I want to see you live out your faith on earth. I want to see you follow Jesus with your life. That's the difference. And so for me, uh, from 15 to about 21, I wrestled with that concept. I could never figure it out. I was very duplicitous. I had like a double life. I would be at church on Sundays, and then I was this like uh, shoplifter all through high school. I, would, I didn't have a lot of money, so I'd go into stores and take stuff, put it in my pocket, walk out. And I, I kept like a high off of that. Like it really made me feel like I got over on somebody. And so that was like the secret sin in my life all throughout high school. When I got to college, I had pretty good grades in high school, so I had an academic scholarship. I got to college, and I had no rules on me. I was in a dorm room, and we did not have restrictions, and I went total prodigal. Like, I went absolutely buck wild. But with something strange in my spirit and my heart told me I still needed to be at church on Sunday. And so I was. It hung over like bad news bears, sunglasses in church. How you doing? It's a bad look, right? Uh, but I was in church every Sunday. And I had all these Christian friends, and I had these worldly friends. And, I, and when I was with the Christians, I tried to be all in Christian. When I was with the worldly friends, I was all in worldly. I don't need to say any more, okay? Uh, and so the day, I remember it so vividly, July of my 21st year. So I'm going to turn 21 in two months. I had really kind of bankrupted all of my friendships. All the Christian friends that I had, I had lied to them. I had stolen from them. I had, uh, you know, been totally fake with them, and they knew it, and I knew they knew it. And all of my worldly friends were just losers, and I didn't want to be with them, you know. Uh, and so I figured out I need to leave Baton Rouge. This is where I lived, lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I decided Baton Rouge is the problem. If I leave Baton Rouge, everything will be fine, right? How many of you know that's not how it works, right? And so I bought a one-way ticket. On my birthday, my 21st birthday, 10, 15 a.m., I'm moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I, I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to uh, take all the money I have, and I'm just going to start a new life. I'm going to be the next Stephen Curtis Chapman. It can't be that hard. This is, you know, this is what I thought. So, um, so about, about the, the, the last week of August heading into September 2nd, nobody knows that I'm leaving. I haven't told anyone, not my parents not my friends. Nobody knows. Not even my job. I was just going to like no show. And so September 1st, I'm staying at a couple of friends' house, Sean Denham and Craig Westerman, strong believers. I'd met them at the BSU. And I said, guys, can I just stay like, in, you know, on your couch for a week? Sure, that's fine. So September 1st, remember September 2nd, 1015, I'm getting on a plane and never looking back. September 1st, at about 9.45 p.m., there comes a knock on the door. 9.45 p.m. And it is, they, you know, Sean answers the door, and it's a group of Christian friends of mine, people that I'd met at the BSU. And they have in their hand a warrant for my arrest. 
and they've come to have an intervention with me. So that what had happened was I had written some hot checks. I don't know if you, you young people don't realize this, but back in the day, you literally could write a check, hand it to a man, and go, okay, thank you, I'll take that new you know, transmission. And they would just put it in the register, and you just walk away, all good, no problem, until you have a warrant for your arrest, right? <laughs> so they say, hey, look, Fike, we love you. you know, we think God can do a lot through your life. We want to take you to jail tonight. We want to bring you and let you turn yourself in. Uh, and you can start a new life with God, and we'll be there on the backside when you get out. And I was like, you guys are right. I should do that. Um, <laughs> but again, nobody knows that in my, they have a warrant from arrest. I have a ticket to Nashville, okay? So I convinced them what's better is if tomorrow morning I'll just get a good night's sleep, I'll get up, I'll get dressed, I'll go down, and I'll turn myself in. And they're like, okay. So we prayed, they left. I thought, suckers, I'm going to Nashville. So I get up the next morning, get on a bus, get up early before Sean and Craig woke up, get on a bus to go downtown to get my last check from my job, and now I'm going to get on, on another bus to go to the airport. And I'm sitting at this bus stop, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And I felt the hand of the Lord take hold of me in that moment. I'm sitting there, and I look at this sign on the left. There's like a placard. And it shows the routes that this bus stop serves. One of them, sure enough, is the, the Baton Rouge Airport. The other one is East Baton Rouge Parish Police with a big star. And I said, what, what do you know about that? <laughs> huh. And I felt the hand of the Lord take hold of me. And he said, stop running from me. Run to me. And I said, Lord, I hear you. But aren't you omnipotent and omnipresent? Can't we just do a new life together in Nashville? Right? Stop running from me. Run to me. I mean, it was so vivid. I wish I, could, I wish I could explain it to you. I wish I could show you a scripture that says, and this is why that's true. I just know that the Lord was speaking to me. Stop running from me. Run to me. And so in that moment, I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Whichever bus comes first, that's the bus I'll get on. So I'm sitting on this bus stop. I'm looking down Government Street for about what felt like hours. It was probably only minutes. And here comes the bus, and I see EBRPP, East Baton Rouge Parish Police. And I just bust out crying. Ah, I'm going to jail! <laughs> and this, this lady who was sitting next to me, she put her arm around me. She said, baby, why are you doing all that crying in? Stop all that, stop all that crying in. <laughs> You know, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going that day. You know, it was terrible. <laughs> so I went and turned myself in. I said, Lord, I'm all yours. I spent five nights in East Baton Rouge Parish prison. And let me tell you, I was changed. Okay? <laughs> I was forever changed. I met a I met a brother in there named Big Swole. <laughs> he was a little too friendly, if you know. Uh, and so anyway, stop running from me run to me. And you know, I, I felt equal parts in that story. I felt equal parts humiliated and humbled. Equal parts, humiliated and humbled. You know the difference? The difference is humiliation is self-centered and humility is God-centered, right? I thought about what everybody was going to think about me. I was humiliated. But then I thought about what God thought about me and I was humbled. And that's exactly what's happening in this moment with Ezekiel. He's finding his way into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Those two guys, Sean Denham and Craig Westerman, when I got out of jail, I lived with them for months. And they loved me into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but that is the theme of Vanguard Church. That, is what, that has been our mantra for years and years, 25 years of saying, you know what the, you know what the mission of every Christian is? It's to love people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. My two sons' names are Justice Westerman and Judah Denham Fike. I named those boys after those men who taught me how to follow Jesus. The heavens were opened. I saw visions of God. I felt the hand of the Lord take hold of me. I hope that's happened for you. And if it hasn't, I hope that today is a day that you'll open your heart to receive that moment because the Lord would say to you today, stop running from me. Run to me. 
So Ezekiel sees some wild stuff. He sees a cloud. He sees lightning in the clouds, barrel, which is like this blue element. He sees all these wild things happening. He sees these four strange creatures with four faces and four wheels on a platform on a throne. It's basically this moving, sort of like darting, incredible moving uh, platform that is kind of a, a moving tabernacle of the holy presence of God. And the question Ezekiel is going to ask himself And the question that we need to ask as we think about this scripture is, why is the glory of the Lord in Babylon? Why is the glory of the Lord visiting Ezekiel in this place of exile? Moreover, why is the glory of the Lord visiting Ezekiel? Look at this in verse 25. As they stood with wings lowered, these creatures that we talked about, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. Above this surface was something that looked like a throne, made of blue lapis lazuli, which is a, uh, an, a mineral that is very blue. It's a beautiful blue. I tried to find a blue that was as close to the blue. You see what I did. Uh, and, on this throne, <laughs> and on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Now, there's all kinds of conjecture. If you were to go read hundreds of commentaries, you might get hundreds of answers. But one of the most common ideas is that he's seeing Jesus in this moment. He resembles a man. Verse 27, from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. I imagine that Ezekiel's moment here was a lot like one of the first viral videos that ever made its way onto our phones. Do you remember this? Oh my God, oh my God! Oh my God! Woo! Oh, wow! Woo! Yeah! Oh my God! Oh my God, look at that. It's starting to even look like a triple rainbow. Oh my God, it's full on double rainbow all the way across the sky. Oh my God. What does this mean? Oh, oh my God. Oh. Oh, God, it's so bright. Oh, my God, it's so bright and vivid. Oh, oh, oh. It's so beautiful. Okay, so all around him was a glowing halo like a double rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me when I saw it. I fell face down to the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. I just think Ezekiel probably had the same moment that our double rainbow guy had. Oh! Oh! It's so intense. What does it mean? Right? Like, I just resonate with that. Why is the glory of the Lord visiting Ezekiel? As we walk through this book, we're going to be confronted, confounded, and comforted, another alliteration, all because Ezekiel was faithful in delivering the messages God entrusted to him. And so the question for us today, how do you hear from God for yourself? I'm going to give you three quick ways to hear from God before we leave today. Because I don't want you to just go, okay, cool, so Ezekiel heard from God, what about me? So I'm going to give you three ways. Here's the first one. Begin with Jesus. Begin with Jesus. Um, in, in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus was the fullness of God. Jesus, everything about Jesus was the fullness of God. But we didn't see the fullness of Jesus. We only saw uh, a finite eyewitness account 
from a handful of people who spent intense time with an infinite God, right? And so they didn't, they didn't understand everything that there was to understand about Jesus. Uh, and yet, what's documented about Jesus is more than we can fathom. Man, if you're wondering who is God and what is he like, I would just encourage you to read the Gospels over and over and over. Take it slow. Pour over every word. Consider the context. Why was Jesus so frustrated with the Pharisees? And why was he so interested in the most lowly of people? Spend time with Jesus. A pastor friend of mine, Andrew Bates, out in London said this. He said, we hear from God in exactly the same ways faithful Christians have heard from him for 2,000 years. I've deliberately started this way because many, including me, come from church backgrounds that prize variety over regularity, novelty over fidelity, and the individual over the corporate. He says, those who understand the centrality of Jesus will be far more secure and far less likely to be bamboozled in contexts where people are hearing from God in ways that are more subjective, personal, and difficult to assess. Another way to say this is in Hebrews. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Somebody say amen. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, uh, through, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus proclaimed, he said, uh, blessed are those that hear the word of God and obey it. I'm convinced that God's love language is obedience, okay? We might you know, think it's quality time or words of affirmation or physical touch. No, God's love language is obedience. If you love me, you will obey me, right? So blessed are those that hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus promised, my sheep, they know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And then he went on to tell us, by the way, you're going to hear my voice in a very different way than you're hearing it right now. In the book of John, he said, when the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Anything that the Holy Spirit ever prompts you, ever speaks to you, it's only because he heard it from the Father. It's awesome to hear that. And Jesus practiced this idea because Jesus was constantly tucking away and spending time with the Father. Luke says, in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer. We were sleeping. He was praying. Um, One of my favorite moments in the whole Bible is in Acts 4. After uh, Pentecost has happened, uh, uh, John and Peter are preaching to these people. They've healed this guy, and now they're in jail for it. And they say, answer for this. How do you dare say that you healed this man in the name of Jesus? They go on. They preach this sermon. He says, the stone that the, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then this verse happens, and I love it. Verse 13. It's, these people say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived, this is not something you want to be perceived to be, by the way, Uh, but they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they, man, underline this, they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Oh, if people would say that about me, listen, say what you want to say about Richie Fight. Can I tell you something? That man has been with Jesus. Say what you want to say about Marshall. That man has been with Jesus. It's all over him. He's an uneducated and common man. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I love you, Marshall. So if you want to hear from God for yourself, begin with Jesus. Begin with Jesus. And here's the second one. Belong with believers. In every other religious affiliation, you must behave to belong. You know that? You got to prove it. You want to be a part of us? You got to prove it. You, you want to be a part of this whole idea of, you know, this religion? you got to prove it. Not in Christianity. In this world, and then listen to me carefully, you do not have to change who you are to be a part of our affiliation, of our relationship with God. But I just want to give you a parenthetical note. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he's going to change you. And not in a bad way. He's going to change you in ways that you can't see coming. He's going to make you more humble. He's going to make you more earnest. He's going to make you more of a servant. He's going to make you more willing to let him have the wheel of your life. So 
the way to do that is to be around other believers. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Your job as a Christian is to stir me up to do good works. My job as a Christian is to stir you up to do good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is kind of messy, as is the habit of some, uh, but, in, <laughs> right? but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And guys, if you don't see the day drawing near, you're not looking at the same data that I am, right? This is a broken world. The day is drawing near. We have got to stir each other up. Proverbs says that without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. So belong with believers. And here's the last one. You have to beware of heresy. If you hear someone say, oh, the Lord told me to divorce my wife. The Lord told me that it's totally okay for me to divorce my wife. Well, what was the reason? Uh, she snores. I'm sick of it. Okay, that's not God. Okay, that's not how it works. Heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox Christian doctrine. God is not going to tell you to do anything that contradicts Holy Scripture. Amen? He won't instruct you to defy what he knows is best for you. So Ezekiel's having a moment, a manifest moment with God. It's personal, it's vivid, it's supernatural. Um, And you can have that moment too if you choose to begin with Jesus, belong with believers, and beware of heresy. As we close today, I want to show you this story. Um, When we were talking about this scripture uh, as a teaching team at Vanguard Central, um, Candace Kovac shared a story. And it was kind of an amazing moment uh, in, in our meeting. It was like a God moment. Like we all were like, whoa. It was a double rainbow moment, okay? Uh, And so we asked her to tell that story again, and I want you to hear it. Watch this. I think it's important to note that God doesn't have to speak audibly, but there's lots of ways that God speaks. And this is just one experience I've had two in my life. Um, And this was the first one. And it was in 1996, and Craig and I were engaged to be married. And the family that I was living with lived near Panama City Beach. So we were located in Florida. And there wasn't anything interesting or unique about the day that I remember, except that Craig was late. And Craig is almost never late. And so it was uh, a frenzied, uh, busy pickup. We had a date, and he was coming right from the base. And he picked me up, and we were discussing everyday things. You know, um, are we going to reschedule our time or um, do we want to change where we're going and so we got in the car in that kind of mindset Craig started the car he was driving and I was riding in the passenger seat and in the south if you've ever been to the south you know the south doesn't really have streets in their neighborhoods it's more like a lane it's one narrow piece of blacktop and then there's silty sand on each side and so When you're driving down the lane, it's tight and narrow, and the stop signs are are low to the ground. And we were probably 40 yards maybe from a stop sign. At that stop sign, it's a T intersection. You either turn left or you turn right, therefore. Left will take you deep into a residential area, and right will take you to the strip. Well, the Strip is where you have all of the restaurants, and one of our favorite restaurants was on the Strip, and so that's where we were planning on going. So he would pick me up, and we would always make a right-hand turn at the stop sign because left made no sense at all. So we're about 40 yards, maybe 30 yards from the stop sign, and we're, we're tooling along. And I think what strikes me most now in reflecting about this story is how much detail I can remember and... I have a very poor memory, but for me, looking back, it it was so vivid and I can remember what Craig was wearing and I can remember what the day was like. And I think so many times the Holy Spirit is sealing in our memory a moment we're about to have with him so that we can go back to it again and again. So we experience it, we don't just remember. And the reason I say that is because tooling down that narrow little sand covered lane almost to the stop sign, I heard a voice in the car. I remember it was a man's voice. I remember it was very deep 
and I remember it had a lot of timber to it. And it was so vivid, it said, don't turn right. And I remember turning so quickly in my seat and thinking that in all of our busyness, all of the distraction, somehow Craig had forgotten to mention that he brought one of the other lieutenants from a squadron. We were taking someone with us. I don't know. I didn't know how to explain it, but I heard a male voice in the back seat. And I was so certain a human being was going to be sitting there, certain. And there was nobody there. And it didn't repeat itself. The voice didn't say, don't turn right again. I had one shot to hear it and I heard it. And I didn't. And he didn't. And so he's telling me about his day and he's just going on with a story and I'm having a moment. I mean, I'm doing this over and over again because I can't make sense of it. I know what I heard, I know what I see, but what I heard doesn't match what I, at that point, that's one key way you have to know you're experiencing the supernatural. So right about this time, I hear the turn signal going, ta-ting, 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 and we're at the stop sign. And I turn at this point and I realize Craig has stopped talking and he's just looking at me. And I said, didn't you hear that? I didn't hear it. <laughs> and he said, no, but, but you did. And he said, what did you hear? And I said, don't turn right. Now there's a hundred responses that any of us could come up with to that story. You know, are you, are you losing it? Are you imagining it? Is this, am I being pranked? <laughs> What's happening? But he didn't. He looked at me and he did this long blink. And then I heard the turn signal stop and then start again, to ting to ting Like I can hear that in my mind. And then he starts moving the wheel and we turned left. And then we had made it maybe 20 yards down the road. And we heard, I think one of the most terrible sounds. And it was the sound of squealing tires and then colliding metal and it seemed to go on for a long time and Craig pulled over on this little sandy lane and we both turned around to look out the rear window what is going on well the distance from the stop sign to the major intersection of the strip is very short and there had been a massive collision in the intersection and there was smoke and debris and chaos. And we just looked at each other because we realized that had we turned right, we would have been in that intersection. There's no doubt in my mind that the space is right, the distance is right, the timing was right. We would have been in that intersection. And sadly, in the news the next day, eight people died in that accident. And that's tragic. But what I know is that two others didn't. Because a voice said, don't turn right. And I remember when I was telling the story in teaching team, a very reasonable response was, why do you think God, the question was asked of me, why do you think God told you, don't turn right? And the eight other people who passed away, why didn't he tell them? Whatever their version was, step on the brakes or go around the block or, you know, whatever that could have been for them. Why did he tell you and he didn't tell them? And I remember Fike in the room responding, how do you know he didn't? How do you know he didn't? Because I don't know. I can only tell you what he told us. None of us, the point is that none of us can, with a certainty or degree of absolute, say this is how God speaks. Powerful, powerful. So how do you hear from God for yourself? 
How do you do it? Listen, I just want to encourage you. Lean into the voice of the Lord. He wants to speak to you. He has something he wants to say to you. Begin with Jesus. Listen to his words. Pay attention to what he has to say. Belong with believers. You heard Chuck earlier say, get involved in a, in a, in a growth group. Man, if you're not in a growth group, you need to be in a growth group. If the only time that you ever interact with Christians is during our meet and greet on Sunday mornings, you're doing it wrong, okay? That's not the way it's supposed to work. Interact with people. Belong with believers and beware of heresy. Even in me, if you hear me say something from the pulpit and go, uh, check please, <laughs> right? Come up and talk to me. Let's, let's work it out. I'm working really hard to not giving you any her- heresy, okay? I'm going to try to give you truth every time I'm up here. I want us, as we walk through this Ezekiel series, to experience the living and supernatural God. I want us to enter into what is available to us as New Testament believers, that the Holy Spirit can speak to each and every one of us, and that we can find our way into his presence on a daily basis. I pray that that will happen for you. Let me pray for us now. Jesus, um, we love you. We thank you for Candace's life. We thank you that she had uh, the boldness to respond to your voice in that moment. I thank you, Lord, that you, that you spoke to me at that bus stop that day. You said, stop running from me, run to me. Lord, whatever you are speaking to every heart in this room right now, I pray that you would give every person here the courage to respond to your voice. We're going to see a lot of it in the book of Ezekiel. We're going to see how Ezekiel responded in obedience and humility to everything that you asked him to do. And we're going to aspire to do the very same thing. So I pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, we're about to take communion. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would move. I pray that you would confront, that you would comfort. I pray, God, that you would be close. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Can we all say amen? Amen. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.